Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Uh, with all of the Christmas and the carol service and everything, um, and Christmas morning, next weekend we'll do a, a little bit of, maybe of a few testimonies of, of stories of lives changed this year. We thought what we do this Sunday, this morning, is close down or close off our unveiled faces theme, and we commence a new series in the new year. So I'm going to get Moses to um, Exodus 33 quicker than I thought. So I'm going to drop a little bit out and take them right there this morning, try and close this off. I think it'll be very practical, and I'm going to try and make it that you can apply it to your lives this morning, and especially as you consider 2019. You know that New Year, any New Year is my favorite time. I love New Year. I love closing one year off and coming into a new year. There's something very spiritual and very significant about it and rethinking physically what you want to do in your life, maybe even rethinking domestically what you want to do in your home, and maybe thinking spiritually what you want to do in your life with God, and thinking maybe a little bit economically, maybe in your job. Um, Those are four areas that I try to think about every year, just four little areas. Maybe talk a little bit about them next week that I try to think of in every new year and sort of dissect it into those four areas and think this is what I want to do. This has been a great series. We've built it all around this key verse. We'll look at this verse later on as we close it out today, but this is it. And we all with unveiled faces, you've got the verse by now, I'm sure, contemplate, contemplate, study deeply the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, to contemplate the Lord's glory, I hope it's on your 2019 list. I hope it's on your 2019 list to see God deeper and better and more. And we have been on this journey where Moses asked this big question. I'm going to draw it up because I want you to, um, I want you to think about it this morning um, when he said this to God. This is the last sheet. There you go for the last time, all right? Um, Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Big question, wasn't it? Show me your glory. What a demand. What What a thing to say to God. God, would you show me your glory? Of everything else you could do for me, God, would you show me your glory. Now, what I want to do this morning, I want to talk, I sort of want to dissect it into two things. I want to look at the request. I want to look at this big request of, of Moses, show me your glory. And then I want to look at the results that actually came from that request. Really important that we grab this because when we break Exodus down, Exodus, you will know, is named Exodus because it's about the Exodus. All right? It's simply it's about the Exodus of the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage. So when you read the first 18 chapters of Exodus, you read about the call of Moses and the delivery of that call to a nation and the nation coming out. The first 18 chapters is all about that. In chapter 19, you read about them arriving at Sinai, which is only a few weeks into their journey or even less. They arrive at Sinai, and at Sinai, 
this is where God was going to meet with them. God was going to show them in a very, very powerful way who he really was. And so chapters 19 right through to 32, you've got God establishing a covenant. All the rules and regulations of the tabernacle are all in that section. And, and God is establishing his covenant with his people, and he, and he highlights the he highlights the, the, the rules of this covenant on two stone slabs, and he gives them to Moses. And then um, when you come to chapter 32, the end of that little section, you see how they blow it big style. Moses has went up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and the people start to think he's away a month and a half. Something's happened to him. A wild beast has ate him or something up there. He ain't coming back. We need to do something. They made a golden calf, and they began to worship, and they broke the first two rules of the covenant right away. They just blew it big style. I don't know whether if you've ever had teenage kids, and you, you tell them something, and you, you feel like um, one hour later, you hadn't told them anything. That, anybody else? Well, this is what God must have felt like. This is what God must have felt like. God must have felt, are you not listening? Did you not hear what I said? So let's, we're going to read um, uh, Exodus 33. It takes about two minutes and 50 seconds, all right? So, um, so don't be worrying about the long reading, all right? Uh, I just think it's important that we, we read it. If you have a Bible, turn to it, please. It's not on the screen. Or if you've got a device, look it up. I'm reading out of the ESV. I just love us to grasp some of the little thoughts and nuggets in this as we read it together, all right? Um, Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, um, to the land which I swore to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. Interesting, isn't it? What he's saying is, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm going to send an angel. Now, I'll not let you go on your own, but I'll send an angel. It doesn't even seem that this was the angel of the Lord who, we haven't time to go into this, but the angel of the Lord arriving in Old Testament times, very, very many times, was Jesus pre-incarnate. It, it was Jesus before he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Wasn't here uh, to be the case. He says, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Persites and the Hivites and all those Jebusites and Itesites. Um, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on your way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on ornaments, for the Lord had said, to Moses, said to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, for if a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So take off your ornamentals, all your jewelry that I maybe, I'm not dead sure why this happened, but I sort of surmise that maybe the jewelry, jewelry was worn and all these or ornamentals were worn when they were worshiping the calf. This is what I think, um, and maybe this, is, this, this was, God was saying, you, you, you devoted them to that, and I don't want them. I, I don't want what you devoted to that, all right? Therefore, the people stripped themselves of all their jewelry and their ornaments um, from Mount Horeb onward. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp, and 
Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all of the people would rise up and each would stand at the tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend. Imagine this. A pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses, listen to this, face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And Moses turned again into the camp. His assistant Joshua, son of Nun, young man, would not depart from the tent. So that doesn't mean that he maybe was in the tent. It maybe means he was at the tent and he would guard it. He would guard the presence of God. It wasn't that Moses left the presence and Joshua stayed in it. It's probably more he stayed at it, more he guarded the presence, all right? Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I, I know you by name, and you, I have found, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. What a statement. Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. So, God, I just don't want to know your face. I just don't want your blessings. I want to know your nature and your character. I want to know more about you. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Not much light up here, I can tell you. Um, And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Here's Moses. He said, God, if if you don't go, I don't want to go. And he says, for how shall I be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are so distinct? He said, the very fact that you're with us is what has marked us out to be your people. The church should be recognized as the church of God. We should be distinct today. We should be different. We shouldn't be the same as. We shouldn't be trying to make ourselves so, so easily adaptable to the world that we become semi. We're meant to be different. We're meant to be odd. And, um, and he's saying, is this not the very thing, God? Is your presence not the very thing that makes us distinct? And he said, uh, I and your people from all other, of, of all other on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the very thing that you have spoken I will do for you because you've found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses now Moses said, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. God, I've, I've been to the burning bush. I've seen your presence. I've, 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 I've been in the tent of meeting and I've had conversations with you, but every time you see there was a cloud there and every time you read about the presence of God in the Old Testament, you'll always find that it was clouded. It was mystified by something. And the reason for that was because God is a consuming fire and our nature could not look holy face on face with God. Now, when it says that he spoke face to face with Moses, Moses would have heard him but he wouldn't have seen him clearly. He would have heard a voice, and I can prove that to you from Exodus 34. But, but he, there was, was always this glory cloud, as, as people will talk about it. But Moses says, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. God's goodness is his glory, as we'll see in a moment or two. And he says, 
And you will proclaim before my name and the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on a rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face cannot be seen. Now, now, remember that the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, so there's chapter 34 is just a continuation, and you, when you go into chapter 34, you, you read on what happened in the cleft of the rock. When, when he saw the hinder parts of God, God spoke to him. We'll look at a little bit at that in a moment or two. Now, here, here's the idea. His request, show me your glory. As I said, God just didn't Moses just wasn't satisfied with, with little. He wanted more. He had witnessed much, but he wanted more. Something had got uh, a hold of him. And Moses is, is praying to go another step. He's praying with this relationship with God will be more intimate than ever before. I hope it's your prayer for 2019. I hope it's your prayer that, that you will know God in a deeper, newer level. Moses was not talking about God here. He was talking to God. He was not speculating about some existence of some cosmic being. He was interacting with a living, holy, eternal, living, breathing person, God. This is the most beautiful thing. And there's a special kind of knowledge that's made between two people who are relating to one another. Marriage has taught us that. And it's why marriage was ordained of God. It's a, and Paul, even when he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. When two people come together, there can be absolute intimacy. And obviously, it's not possible for God to know us more intimately. He knows everything about us. It says He even knows the very hairs on our head. As it says, that mightn't be difficult for some of us, but he, if he, he could tell them many hairs has grown out of our ears and out of our nose now, and can't understand why it won't go another few inches and grow out of my head. But there you go. That's, that's getting older. But he knows more about us than, than we know about ourselves. And, and there's always room for growth in our knowledge and our understanding of him. And so what I want us to explore this morning is this petition of Moses and the implications that it has for us as we enter 2019. All right? So if you're looking for a, an example of relationship with God, I think Moses stands supreme. I think that... Uh, I, I, I've never read about anybody like him. I've loved read, reading about Abram and Joseph and Jacob and all, but I've never, ever studied or fallen in love with a man like this man, Moses, his intercessory prayer, his un, ongoing conversation, his, his absolute obedience. Now, four little things that I want to share with you really quickly as we bring this to a conclusion um, today. All right, the first thing that when it comes to God, what we need to know is that we only see in part. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. This is a verse that has been misread and misinterpreted about the gifts of the Spirit, but I think there's more depth to that, and I haven't time to teach on that today, but we could have a conversation about it. Paul says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is part in part disappears. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. But he says, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, 
Then I shall know fully, even as I am known. He said, there's coming a day when he that is perfect will appear. And he says, we will know him like he knows us. That is incredible. And without question, Moses knew God, I think, more than any human being who ever walked the planet with the exception of Jesus himself. But Moses had gone further than anyone, gone further than anyone ever before, or I think ever since, in his knowledge of God. And yet he was ready to confess that, that his knowledge was limited. Most of us would, 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 I think, and I hope, have a desire to know him more. But it's only those who have that deeper desire than ever that get moving into that deeper knowledge of him. And I'll show you that in a moment. And Moses stands in sharp contrast to the children of Israel. The children of Israel were, were actually at the bottom of this mountain in, in, in Exodus 19 saying, God, I tell you what, Moses, you just go on up. We're happy enough. We'll, we'll, you, we'll, you just let us know what God says. We don't really want to get any closer to God because, you see, uh, well, you, you just go do the biz for us. Moses wasn't like that. Moses stood in, in sharp contrast. He contrasted this. He had a compelling desire to know God more intimately. And no matter how deeply we may desire to know him, we will never know him fully, at least not in this life. And even to the petition of Moses, God had to respond with limitations. I love this. He said, there's a place near me where you must stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you on that rock, I'll cover you with my hand, and then I remove my hand, and you can see me as I pass by. This is incredible. When God did make this revelation to Moses, he, he is ex this is exactly what happened. Moses still isn't allowed to see the face of God, and the explanation of this is simple, that it, it would have just burned him up. He would have exploded with some kind of fury, I'm sure. And no mortal, mortal has the capacity to look in the face of God here in the Old Testament. And so this is really important. And, and it doesn't matter how much of God you know. And it doesn't matter how much of God you see, you've seen. There's more to... to our, uh, I often think that the estimation of our knowledge is like a spoonful of water in, in, in light of the Atlantic Ocean. Our knowledge is like a spoonful of water to the vastness of the, imagine trying to spoon out the ocean. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what trying to, to, to uncover the, the magnitude of God. So we know in part, we need to recognize that, that we know in part. We see through a mirror, or, or the authorized uses that we see through a glass darkly. But there's coming a time whenever he's going to be fully transparent. The second thing is, and this is, this is glorious news, God wants us to know him more. God wants us to know him more. This encounter between Moses and the sovereign God himself in the Bible is there, I believe, to encourage us to have a desire to know God. And such a desire is appropriate for a creature like me. This is awesome. Our need encourages a desire. Need was primarily in the motivation of Moses. He was keenly aware of his finite humanity, and he sensed that the only way he would be ever adequate to carry out the responsibilities given to him was that he, he needed a deeper knowledge of God, and he was willing to give his life to get it. It was a deep, deep sense that caused him to cry this out, God, show me your glory, and our, our knowledge encourages a desire. I think this is really important that Moses knew 
what caused him to know more. He had spent 40 days up alone with God on the top of a mountain. He had talked face to face in the tent of meeting, as we say. But just like the Apostle Paul, who had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road that actually blinded him for three days till Ananias came and prayed that his sight be returned, um, he, he wrote later in his ministry, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Even Paul, who's seen the resurrected Christ, said, Oh, that I may know him. There's something beautiful about this. Did Paul not know him already? Absolutely. But he needed more. Show me your glory. I don't know about you, but I need more. I need more in 2019. I don't want 2018's blessing. I want, I want more. I want to go de- deeper and higher and wider. And the knowledge that, that, that Moses had of God just birthed more, a desire for more. Number three, really quickly. It's a, it's, it's a God idea. That's not a mistake, by the way. It is a good idea, but it's a God idea to want to know Him more. There's a reason to believe that such a prayer will have its own reward. God delights in revealing Himself. As a matter of fact, I'll go a little bit further. And I prayed over this statement when I, I, I came to my mind yesterday in the study, and I thought, am I right to say this? But I'm going to say it because I believe it's right. God has designed himself to reveal himself. God has designed himself to reveal himself. He, this is how God works. Here, here's what the writer to Hebrews says. The writer to Hebrews says that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And here it is. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek for him. He actually rewards people who seek him out. People who say, God, I I, I love you. And and 2018 was great, but show me your glory. Give me more. Give me a deeper revelation of who you are. And so when Moses comes to God with this special, earnest appeal, God doesn't snub him. God responds to that appeal with a promise. God has designed himself to reveal himself. And, and, And I love this. God has been at work in every area of Moses' life right up to date, and yours, and yours, through all the hard times, through all the difficulties, through all the loss, through all the misunderstandings, the misconceptions, this happened, that happened. God is at work. God has never been caught off, like off bat. He's in, in, in every detail, and he works together for good to those who love the Lord, and to all those who are called according to his purpose. He works these things together for good. And God has a plan for revealing himself to Moses, a plan that would put Moses in the cleft of a rock. Do you think that God, when Moses made this request of God, that God scratched his head and thought, now I wonder how I could work this out. I wonder how I could let Moses see a little bit more. He knew exactly what was, what was going on. He knew. He had this plan of uncover that was going to show himself. And Moses was allowed to hear the booming voice of heaven. Because what happened, if you go into chapter 34, just to nip into to show you a little bit, what happened after that sort of passing by when the goodness passed by, this is what God said. Let me read it to you. It says, The Lord, the Lord. This is the Lord speaking to Moses now. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving 
wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. This is God speaking about himself. And Moses would never forget these words. As a matter of fact, the people of Israel would never forget these words. We find these words over and over again in the Psalms. We find them on the lips of many of the prophets, too many actually even references to give you today. God has designed things to reveal himself to Moses at, a, at an intimate level that he might be better known amongst men. And that is incredible news. Let me encourage you, if you have a, a, a desire to go deeper, do not despair, for God will reward that desire with a deeper revelation for himself. Now, not only do we only see in part, not only does God want us to know him more, not only is it a God idea to want to know him more, more of God will always change you. Now, this is the results. Firstly, the request. This is the results. Moses would never be the same. Do you know, no one is ever the same when they encounter the glory of God. Things begin to change. There's a transforming power in encounter. That's why we do encounter nights. They're not just nights to fill a gap. They're nights to allow you to encounter more. Maybe we should call them encounter more. I don't know. But encounter more of God. They're not just done. And, 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 and when we're, whenever we begin to worship, when we begin to pray, when we try to guide those nights, the whole um, idea of those nights is to allow you into something because you see what happened in Moses' life, his worship was totally transformed. We read this concerning the response of Moses, that Moses bowed to the ground at once and he worshiped. Interesting, isn't it? When the wise men arrived uh, to give the gifts um, to, to Jesus, when the baby Jesus was presented to him, the first thing it says of them, they fell down. They fell down. You see, falling down is not just worship on its own. Falling down is surrender. And there was a surrender in the heart of this man. He surrenders. The first thing that the, the wise men did was they surrendered. And then it says they worshiped. Out of surrender, they worshiped. And here's Moses. He's falling down and worshiping. If you read chapter 34, verse 8, uh, when God speaks to him again and God takes him to write out the tablets the second time because he smashed the first ones in a temper. And in chapter 34, um, he's, he's writing them out again. And Moses, God says to him, Yahweh! This is what he says to Moses. He says, Yahweh! He, he introduces himself and he, it says he passed by in front of him. Read it yourself, 34, 8. It says he, he cries out to Moses, Yahweh, and then passes by in front of him. And then he says this. It says, and Moses threw himself on the ground and worshipped. Not amazing. He threw himself on the ground and worshipped. Imagine God turning up in your life and announcing himself as Yahweh and passing by in front of you. I know what I'd do. I think I'd throw myself on the ground and worship. You see, this man bowing on his face, worship will never be the same again. Our limited knowledge of God sometimes is the greatest hindrance when we come to worship. And uh, we need to be careful that we're not just coming to sing songs. I wasn't so sure about the worship today. Didn't like that song. Did too many new songs. Not so fussed in that worship leader. I'd rather have that worship leader. And, and what, we, what we can get into competition, can't we? And we begin to realize that worship's not about us. 
not about a worship leader. I always say a good worship leader is like an ice cube in a bucket of water. <laughs> That's a good worship leader. And we have great worship leaders. Ice cubes and buckets of water, they melt away. And you begin to see what it's all about. And that's what worship leading is all about. It's not about you. It's about Him. We give our worship to Him. And so this is really powerful. So His worship was transformed. You know, His, his walk was transformed. There's little detail included in the record concerning its impact in Moses. But when Moses came down, his face was so radiant. His face was glowing. His face, they, they were afraid to come near him, the Scripture says. They were afraid to look at him, his face. Uh, and this was to Moses a life-changing moment, and it showed up in his face. And any time you come to a more intimate knowledge of God, let me tell you, it will affect your face. It will affect your feet. It will affect your heart. It will affect your tongue. It will affect your voice. It will affect your hands. It will affect your life. Because the results of intimacy with God always transforms our walk, transforms our worship, transforms our walk. It'll affect the way you relate to people around you. Moses would always be known as the man who had the glow on his face, I think, and then our work will be transformed. I thought this was really interesting. Um, in verse 12 of 34, be careful not to make a treaty with those you, who live in the land where you're going, or there will be a snare among you. I'd love to challenge you as we close this series out. I'd love to challenge you about what you make treaties with, about who you make treaties with. There's a verse in Ephesians that says, be wise and be careful how you walk. I uh, live in, our home is, is, is backs onto the Lurgan Park, and so our back wall is the park wall, and along the top of it is it's all glass. Um, I've been there for years, way before my time, and so it's all glass along the top of that big wall. The wall's about maybe eight foot tall. And every morning, every morning, um, as I take my coffee, I, I can look out at that wall and, and watch the squirrels run along the wall. <laughs> they run along the glass. Now, I've never seen one limping yet. I've never seen one with a, band, a bandage on its leg. All right? But I, I get the impression every time I look at them that that's the way I need to live my Christian life. I need to pick my steps very carefully. I need to be careful where I make treaties. I need to be careful whom I align with. I need to be careful what I see as being good for me. Here, this servant of God, this, this servant, this Moses would never be the same. He would not be tempted by the empty idols that attracted the people of Israel. Why? Because he knew better. He knew God to be the living and eternal God. And are you ready, as we close out this series, and are you ready for 2019 to say, show me your glory. Now, as we bring it to conclusion, let me say this. Give me five minutes or less, and I'll finish, all right? I know it's a quarter to, but give me five minutes, and we'll, we'll close this off, all right? And less, three minutes. How do we see this glory? This is a big question. Say, fellas, great, you're telling me all about Moses, but how does it work in my life? How do I get my worship transformed? How do I get my work transformed? How do I get my walk transformed? Well, Here's the most beautiful thing about this. I brought the cross in for a reason this morning, all right? And, and it's usually in the prayer room, but I brought it in this morning because here's the Lord's Prayer, all right? Not 
the, not the one that he taught his disciples to pray or, or the, the, the practice of how to pray, but this one, the real Lord's Prayer in John 17. Not that the other one's not real, by the way, all right? Okay. Father, I, I, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Folks, here's, here's the most awesome thing about this series. And this is why I want to go back to the unveiled faces verse, all right? This is the most incredible thing about this whole series. And here it is in the bottom line. What Moses was willing to die to see, we get for free. What Moses was willing to die for, God said, Moses, do you not know you'd shrivel up and die? You'd explode in a ball of hate if you saw my face. Moses is saying, I don't care. I don't care. I just want more. I want more of your glory. Do you know something happened? The, 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 the epitome of love and self-sacrifice and self-emptying was a crucified Jewish man on a cross that brought the glory of God. And that's what God looks like. When Jesus does this act, when Jesus went to the cross, the most powerful act in all of history, and, and which is by, by far the most loving act in all of history, the curtain in the temple is ripped in two. Now, the veil in the temple, in Solomon's temple, was 30 cubits. When it came to Herod's temple, it was 40 cubits high. That's 60 foot high. So it was 60 foot high, it was 30 foot wide, and it was the breadth of a man's hand, which is in around four inches. My hand's probably a bit more, but it's in around four inches wide. They reckoned that when they hung this, it was made in squares, and they reckoned when they hung this, it took 300 priests to hang it. When Jesus died on the cross, the holy place where God dwelt, because people couldn't see His glory, in utter absolute darkness, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt all those years as the children of Israel journeyed in the, in the wilderness. The moment Jesus died on the cross, the new covenant that we become partakers of ripped that veil from the top to the bottom, 60 foot, right to the bottom, and tore it right out of existence. And what happened in that moment was the glory of God was allowed to come out onto the earth. We tend to think that we can now go into the presence of God. That's bigger and deeper than that. The glory of God now fills the earth as the waters covers the sea. This is the most profound thing about this. This is the most incredible thing. And we come to realize what God is doing for us. Israel uh, had never been able to do, and we could never do it for ourselves, was to keep covenant on our own. But He keeps it, and He will provide a way. He became our substitute, our King, our Messiah, and He has let evil do His worst in Him, and He overcome it with His love. And in doing so, through his own blood, he invites us right close up to his glory. Maybe Claire, you'd come. We're going to finish with the song. The source of all that is beautiful, the source of all love. And hence, we read this verse with a fresh insight. We, with unveiled faces. The veil's rent, folks. We don't have to hover in the background afraid to look. The veil is rent. And the glory of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice of love overcome every single evil. 
It can overcome everything you're going through right now, every feeling of inadequacy, every feeling of anxiety, every feeling of addiction, every feeling of grief, every sense of loss, every sense of whatever's going on in you in this room right now. The glory of God covers it all. This is the most incredible thing. And this is the thing that will transform the world and swallow up evil. It's Jesus. And you know what? Each revelation of God's glory can change something for a generation. And that's why I want to sing a little song, a little refrain. And, um, and some of you will remember it of old. And we're going to sing it just before we go into Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And this is what it is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his beautiful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Could we do this as we end out this season? Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. One more time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's stand, let's worship together, then we'll pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.